0: Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion all about setting healthy boundaries and how codependency could be keeping you from living your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Welcome to Recovered Life Discussions. You are in the setting healthy boundaries and The uh, type of room that we have on Wednesdays is a share and support meeting. And so uh, I have decided to do a reading um, that I think will touch everybody's heart out of one of my recovery books. But real quick, let me put some ground rules out there just so that we have the right atmosphere and everyone feels safe. Um, This is a room that is Replayed and so I want everybody to be mindful of that as well as um, rebroadcasted on my podcast and so I just ask every one of you to Make sure that you use your first name only so that you feel very safe and of course uh, It's fine to use You know to refer to me as Christina Dennis I don't know why you would but I'm fine with using my last name, but I always want to make sure everybody it feels clear. I also want to point out that in this room, uh, we do limit our reactions and feelings um, to uh, being respectful of others. Uh, there, there is feedback that is given, but of course, if you're in a position where you're not looking for feedback, let us know and we'll be respectful for your comment. And I hope that people will just feel like this is a reprieve where we can practice setting healthy boundaries and look at our codependency. Um, I am a recovery coach who specializes in codependency and working through childhood trauma with people to help them kind of unroot their belief systems uh, of course, setting healthy boundaries is, is such a vital thing for each and every one of us to live in. And it isn't uh, necessarily, although I think we're moving toward it in our society, something that we teach. You know, at least in my day, uh, you know, as a child, I absolutely was not taught these things. And so I study it because those deep belief systems that uh, my deep belief systems told me I needed to work. Um, I needed to be perfect. I needed to anticipate other people's needs. I needed to have relationships that were based on enmeshment. You want something? Sure. No problem. Just let me know. And in fact, I spent so much of my waking hours, Uh, in a hypervigilance to predict if someone needed help long before they Even knew it themselves. Doesn't that sound familiar and what I discovered uh, After recovering and getting into to recovery for my alcohol addiction that some of the real problems started coming when I didn't have alcohol to numb out all of these feelings and my relationships Uh, were in trouble, specifically my romantic relationship. I was involved with an addict who also had a penchant for sex addiction, and it was incredibly painful. And now I look back at that scenario 23 years ago, and I can be really, really grateful for it. But I have to do the kind of work that allows me to have better relationships. And so I think that there can be a lifetime study of learning to have these healthy, interdependent, interdependent relationships. And as a society, making the, uh, the idea of setting healthy boundaries needs to be our standard. And so I don't think we can talk too much about it ever. And so I was planning on discussing. Kind of a scientific approach to making decisions, but then I read today's reading in one of my most favorite meditation books for codependency, and I thought we need to we need to hear this again today. So um, if you uh, are willing to come up after I finish doing the reading, you are more than welcome, and we'd love to hear how how this works for all of us because I think. That we don't necessarily talk about the perfectionism and and especially if you've been in the recovery world for a while you it's very easy to know on in your head that perfectionism is bad but if you've used perfectionism as a way to save your life as a way to protect yourself um, it can be really really hard to let go of so I'm going to read the reading and uh, if you want to come up and share, raise your hand. Cause we'll get you up here right away. And I hope we all have a really beautiful healing conversation. So for today's label or topic, um, and again, this is in the language of letting go daily med- meditations on codependency by melody Beatty. Um, it's called letting go of perfection. As a journey through recovery, more and more, I learn that accepting myself and my idiosyncrasies, Laughing at myself for my ways gets me a lot further than picking on myself and trying to make myself perfect Maybe that's really what it's all about absolute loving joyous nurturing self-acceptance I So agree with this, you know, I mean when we started this room a year ago the very first topic and the very step very first step in learning how to set healthy boundaries I believe Um, Is to love yourself and that is incredibly difficult um, And was incredibly difficult for me because I looked at others to love me and to fill that tank You know, I was running around in my codependency behaviors Trying to convince others of my love uh, when I didn't love myself so stop expecting perfection from yourself and those around you We do a terrible, annoying thing to ourselves and others when we expect perfection. We set up a situation where others, including ourselves, do not feel comfortable with us. Sometimes expecting perfection makes people so uptight that they and we make more mistakes than normal because we are so nervous and focused on mistakes. That does not mean that we allow inappropriate behaviors with the excuse that nobody's perfect. That doesn't mean we don't have boundaries and reasonable expectations of people and ourselves, but our expectations need to be reasonable. Expecting perfection is not reasonable. People make mistakes. The less anxious, intimidated, and repressed they are by expectations of being perfect, the better they will do. Striving for excellence, purity, and creativity, a harmonious performance, and the best we have to offer does not happen in the stymied, negative, fear-producing atmosphere of expecting perfection. Have and set boundaries. Have reasonable expectations. Strive to do your best. Encourage others to do the same, but know that we and others will make mistakes. Know that we and others will have learning experiences, things we go through. Sometimes the flaws and imperfections in ourselves determine our uniqueness, the way they do in a piece of art, relish them, laugh at them, embrace them and ourselves, encourage others and ourselves to do the best we can love and nurture ourselves and others for being who we are, then realize we are not merely, we are, we are merely human, we were intended and created to be human. Today help me let go of my need to be perfect and to unreasonably insist that others are perfect. I will not use this to tolerate abuse or mistreatment, but to achieve appropriate balanced expectations. I'm creating a healthy atmosphere of love, acceptance, and nurturing around and within me. I trust that this is an attitude. This attitude will bring out the best in other people and in me. And I just love that whole gentle approach to truly accepting ourselves, you know, our mistakes and all so looking at them as possibly, uh, the flaws and imperfections are our uniqueness. Um, I also like the fact that it shares that it doesn't mean we tolerate negative behavior toward ourselves or abuse. And this is kind of what I wanted to share, and you know, let everybody kind of understand um, that setting boundaries, that uh, recovering for codependency is a fluid operation. The only thing that I've ever been able to do, and I've been around for 25 years, is to not drink. Every other parts of every other part of my recovery has included a lot of mistakes, a lot of stop and go, and a lot of confusion. First confusion to see that I actually was truly trying to be perfect. Um, Then looking at my expectations of others to do the same. And it's taken a lot of work to kind of figure out that my codependency recovery, my sobriety is going to be unique to me. And so I wanted to um, to open up the room and hear from all of you, uh, what uh, are you struggling with? What uh, about the reading touches you? And if you've understood or come to a point that you recognize that perfection is a state of shame, um, and it's impossible, and it's a losing proposition. And with that, I'm going to send out some invites. Thank you, Meredith, for coming up and co-modding with me. I'd love to hear from your perspective uh, what you think about that word perfection. Does it ring true? Um, And everything and anything that's going on with you.
1: Hey, Christina. Thank you so much for having me up. Um, it's, you know, the universe brings you different signs and different things. And it's, um, yesterday, uh, a lot of, you know, I, I do the, um, codependency room in the co-occurring disorders clubhouse on Tuesdays. And, um, yesterday I have a co-mod, Kim, um, and she, she didn't connect with yesterday's reading. So she did today's reading yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's so, uh, apparently I need to hear this again. Um, because I'm here and it touches me, and I can resonate with it. I can resonate with all of it. Um, and yes, that uh, that perfectionism, boy, that is my critical parent at it, its best. And it is a, it, it is, it does come from a place of shame. And I want to shake it. Um, you know, I'm a very willful person, um, and that is something that I don't, I, I can't shake that. I, I have to work on it. I can't just wish it away. I have to work it away. Um, and because it was instilled in me so deeply, um, growing up in an alcoholic home and dysfunction and I struggle with it all the time. And I usually, if I'm looking at my dysfunctional patterns, when I'm doing it to myself, I am really doing it to others. And I, it could be in my own head or it could be out loud. Normally, it's in my own head, and I create stories in my own head um, as to why they're not doing X, Y, and Z, or why do they think A, B, and C, or why don't they do this or that? You know, it's it, a lot of times it's in my own head, and I'm when I'm that way myself. It does come out either in my brain or out of my mouth, and you know that expectation um, that we have that others are gonna you know always show up um, perfectly. It's just an illusion. It it is not, for me, it is, it was a way that I was able to cope and deal. Um, It was a way for me to be seen if I was a good little girl all the time, and I wasn't. So, you know, it was either one or the other, you know, that extreme thinking. I was either really bad, so I got attention, and I could, was seen and heard, or I was perfect, so I could be seen or heard. And honestly, neither one never really were. (laughs) Um, Because I didn't get the love and affection that I truly desired. Um, It was only what my caregivers, you know, the the capacity of which my caregivers could give me at that time. And, um, you know, I know last night we were talking and about, you know, loving, you know, people love us from the capacity of which they have within them. And that's a hard one for me. You know, I feel like I have a lot of love to give. Um, I have a lot of love inside me and I have really worked hard on giving a lot of that to myself. But now I have this perfectionistic idea that because I've done that, that everybody's doing that. (laughs) And that is just not true. Uh, Not everybody is doing the work that I've done. Not everybody in this world loves themselves. Not everybody wants to. Not everybody's capable. Not everybody's ready. Um, So I have to remind myself all the time. Like I said, I'm I'm such a willful person. I think I can just will it to happen because I wish it to happen. And I want it to happen so bad. You know, that's the struggle is just digging my heels in and just being a stubborn ass. Instead of, you know, I can't will it, I have to work it. Um, And my program reminds me, my program reminds me every day that this doesn't just happen. The changes don't just happen. The work has to happen in order for the change to occur. Um, And, you know, some of you know, you know, this past week was a really, really, really hard week. I had a lot of stuff come up um, over the last few months and it just hit me over the head like a ton of bricks. Um, and my eight-year-old little girl showed up, and she was cranky. She was hurt. She was sad. She was upset. Uh, she was disappointed. She was let down. She was grieving, and um, I isolated, totally withdrew, went within. Didn't talk to anyone. Didn't see anyone. Um, and my program tells me to do something different, but my my little girl was. She was in charge. She was running the show over the weekend. But you know. Because of, you know, a phenomenal recovery coach, Christina, um, my step group, my recovery family, my clubhouse family, uh, my, uh, I, I was able to get back into my program and use the tools and actually not will it, but work it. And that's made all the difference for me in the last 72 hours. So I'm very grateful. I'm grateful to be here, Christina. I love you.
0: Oh, thank you. I love you too. And it was, you, you shared so much. That is is, I mean that's such a meaty share because there is so much to recovering from codependency. And uh, when we start creating safe spaces for ourselves, when we start having boundaries, sometimes that unfelt trauma, that that non-processing of trauma will show up. And I, I know, like for me, when it does, I am always shocked because I have this expectation. I have double-digit sobriety. Why am I freaking out? Why do I feel like I'm going to die? You know, we, uh, I think it's so important to remember that, that recovering from codependency is an embodiment of, of walking on this earth without the survival skills that we had. And that takes so much courage and i know like in my case perfectionism i never would have admitted that i was a perfectionism i never would have thought about it because after all i have flaws Um, and several people that were in relationship with me would would say things like i'm not going to be perfect um and I, I, I wouldn't be able to understand that the messages that I was sending out to them and to me, to myself was that that was the bar. You know, what? Do you, how can you just rest today? That seems ridiculous to me. And starting to realize, you know, and love myself and realize that I'm not. It's not wrong for them to want to rest. I'm envious because I'm not resting. Um, it is, it is really, really cool. And I always kind of think of it as a knot in, you know, jewelry. You have to go in and loosen up, loosen up, um, that knot pulling on it tighter isn't going to actually help us unwind. We have to kind of go in and open space and have space. And of course, uh, perfectionism is pulling tighter on it. So thank you so much. I'm glad you came to play today, and I I just really appreciate you. Uh, Deanna, so happy to see you, friend. How are you this morning? I know you're on the west coast like me, so it's still morning
2: good morning this is so great such a great conversation i would love if you could come back to me and maybe amber could share first um i'm eating and journaling at the same time and listening multitasking isn't a thing so i'm gonna pass
0: the mic for just a moment i appreciate it sure sure amber are you able to share with us
3: yeah um i was just something that popped up for me um during this reading was uh, last night I had followed Chelsea into like a room and they were talking about heartbreak and, and such. And um, there was one thing that l- the man was saying that I was like, yeah, that, like, ugh. but he was talking about how, um, how we should take the shame out of like heartbreak or like struggles or hardship. Cause there's like, sometimes there's this perception, at least in my life, that there's like a shame of like, oh, you're going through a hard thing or, oh, you're having hardships or you're having a heartbreak. And, and I feel, I know for me, it's like, I've wanted to almost, uh, deny that on so, so many different levels that, um, because I just didn't want to be that person that had that thing, or I didn't want to admit that my life was going that way. Um, that it, it caused, but there was, there was all this shame and I was thinking about it and I was like, everybody goes through, like, this is a normal human thing that we all go through on some level. Um, and why do we, why is there, at least in my life, why is there shame connected to it? You know? And so, um, I just, that's what kind of come up, came up for me about the mistakes and just this reading and, Um, kind of having that relief of like removing the shame from those, uh, from those, those situations can, um, it brings me a lot of relief thinking that I can, uh, choose to remove, uh, the shame on some level or, or choose to see it differently. Um, so yeah, that's all I wanted to share.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I, I mean. Oh goodness, I know that my distorted thinking really had this idea and and I know where it came from. I grew up in a very religious house that you know, if bad things happen to you, <clears throat> that means you've done something wrong. You know, and so it was i had to hide the bad things happened to me because to me that meant that i had done something wrong and it you know came directly from my caregiver telling me that you know god will punish you god will punish you and so not only was i in heartbreak yeah i was absolutely in in this uh, you know, huge perfectionistic fog that I kept just manufacturing over and over again. And you're right, we do have heartbreak. Um, it's it's especially if we have been taught that we don't have any, you know, true rights, you know, that, um, that the way to stay safe within a relationship is to have no wants and needs. And uh, it's just... Um, Like the topic says, perfectionism and making mistakes and sharing about them is incredibly important because then that exposes our distorted thinking. All right. Let me check back with Christina.
1: Yes, please jump in. Yeah. Yeah. I want to add something, Amber. Gosh, that was so good. Um, You know, for me, And Christina, you pointed this out to me last night. You're heartbroken. You're heartbroken. And it's not over one particular thing. You know, I'm heartbroken. You know, a chapter in my childhood, uh, dysfunctional childhood closed, you know, which brought up a lot of things. You know, the loss of the relationship that I thought I had. Um, The loss of my business uh, not being able to be what I thought it was. You know, um, there's so much shame for me that is around heartbreak because when you grow up in a dysfunctional home and you are taught not to feel, you are taught that when something hurts you, you don't say, ouch, you dig your heels in and you just keep marching forward. Um, That is where my shame started. And it started at a very early age. I can remember being told not to cry, shut it up, dry it up, you know, do not feel any negative emotions. And, you know, that's going to take me to one of the laundry list traits. You know, that's one of the reasons I'm addicted to excitement and feeling good um, is, you know, because I had to fake feel good. Um, and there was a lot of shame around that because on the inside, I was dying. But on the outside, I had to put on the smile to, to be accepted and loved and to please. So there is a lot of shame around heartbreak. And when you don't acknowledge it and you allow shame to take hold, which is what I did this weekend. That's where you withdraw, you become isolated. And that is exactly what I did. I have got a phenomenal support system. And um, I did not reach out to anyone. And, you know, I need to say that out loud um, because I feel shame about that. <laughs> you know, my one of my dear friends, she was almost offended um, when I didn't reach out. But, you know, the shame that surround that heartbreak, it's just it is so deep. And I'm so grateful that you said that, Amber, because I I could truly, truly resonate with that. So thank you. Christina, I'll pass back to you.
0: Yeah. Let me check back in with Deanna and see if she's ready to share.
2: I am. Thank you. How are you? Oh, man. I did not know that I needed this conversation so much. Um, I might even cry. Um, Everything Meredith was just saying, everything everyone is saying is like, just really resonating and touching me and giving me permission to feel like, and honestly, this space where that's created by amazing people like you, Christina and Meredith. It's like, I need these safe spaces more than I realize. Um, because like what Meredith was saying that her friend was almost, you know, upset that that you didn't reach out to her. And I am so guilty of that as well, but it's, it's also a matter of feeling safe. And, and the shame around perfection is I, I never really thought, well, maybe I did, but this morning it's really resonating that I am guilty, even saying guilty just is so full of shame. I am guilty of expecting perfection from other people and i i hate saying that it's like oh no i don't no i don't i'm amazing i don't expect things from people but then i look at i look at what it looks like in my life not just saying it and i see that i i have been hurt so i've been heartbroken as you're saying i've been heartbroken by not one father but two fathers i've been heartbroken i've had so many parents and i've always clung to them like like you are the parent that's going to make me feel love and isn't that codependent right there holy moly and so just talk just talking about it makes me feel like lighter and not so full of shame which is such a heavy heavy feeling and one of the things that i had written down was that language um, and i cannot even Tell you what that book club we did on Atlas of the Heart has done to me and my life and the people around. Because finding the words and the language to go with the emotions I'm feeling and how to explain that to other people is so beneficial to getting out of shame, getting out of that state of shame. Um, and I just, yeah, I I'm also I actually posted a video this morning. I'm writing a song for a friend and i kept doing it over and over and over and over and i'm like oh this isn't perfect this is not perfect and then i decided just to post it like it's so not even finished and i was just like you know what this emotion is so real and true right now and i have so much love that it doesn't have to be perfect at all and people will not say that's not perfect and if they do that's okay that's them dealing with their own issues with perfection, just like I do. So this is such a beneficial conversation, and I appreciate everything that is being said. So thank you so much.
0: Oh, thank you, uh, Deanna, and I. I will go to Meredith after, because I'm sure she has some beautiful things to say. And I have, I have to tell you, um, we learn shame. We learn perfectionism in our little tiny hearts when we're younger and when we should expect to learn about love from our parents but in some cases that's not what happens and so it's very easy for us to say here is the expectation of my parent this means i need to act perfect look perfect do everything perfectly and we don't have the capacity. Our brains aren't developed enough to say, oh, that's there's something wrong with that thinking. And part of the work that I do with people, and, and I do love it even though it's painful, is to help dot the line between this little belief system that we picked up and had no ability to think any differently. I mean, there's just, there's just no way when you're five years old, not to come up with these kinds of, you know, distorted thinking like, okay, in order for me to be valuable and lovable, I must be perfect. Uh, and that's why perfectionism plays such a part in codependency because one of the ways that we show up perfectly is by fulfilling everyone's needs. And, um, and it is, it is a labor of love. And I think, you know, there's another word that um, I don't use often enough, but I believe it's the message of recovered life and certainly of me to normalize feelings and recovery, normalize the struggle. We all love a before and after um, story, but I'll tell you there is so much beauty in the in-between and, uh, and I think that normalizing conversations, discussions about the in-between, about how hard it is. It's not a black and white issue. I can put down alcohol. I can never drink again, but I cannot have relationships with myself I can not not have relationships with myself and other people, so it's worth it. Like Meredith said, I, I could will it, but I'm going to need to work it. And I want to mention too, because we have people in this room that maybe are not familiar with this series that Deanna was talking about. Deanna and I did an, a, an incredible deep dive into Brené Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart: Cultivating Meaningful Connections, and it. I mean, those conversations are masterpieces because I share my interpretation, she shares hers, and then many other wise people in recovery come up. And I want you to know you can find them on the Recovered Life podcast, wherever you um, listen, or you can go back to the replays in the Recovered Life um, camp uh, club and see them because I, 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 it's like experiencing a book in a whole way. I mean, it's the in-between and I'm with you, Deanna, that transformed my life. That information is now in me, being able to label and share feelings and see where where I had a, a misunderstanding of what a feeling was. So I highly encourage anybody in the room who, who says, wow, I, I really am struggling with feelings. All I know is, you know, I feel mad what are there three feelings that almost any adult, an adult can only identify really three feelings when pressed, which is mad, sad, and glad. Um, and we now know there are so many. So thank you, thank you for bringing it up. I'm gonna turn the mic over to Meredith.
1: Oh, Deanna, gosh, I could totally relate. Um, everything you said I could resonate with, especially, you know, just that heartbreak, you know, I have that deep child father wound, um, and from two fathers, you know, a a dad, a biological dad and a stepdad. And, you know, it's kind of like a double heartbreak because I didn't get what I needed from them growing up. And keep in mind, my stepdad was in my life for 30 years. Um, so he was more like a father figure than my biological dad, but the double heartbreak was, is not being able to get from them what I needed as a child. But I found out they both passed away within six days of each other. Um, so that was, um, that's where a lot of grief had come from that I didn't realize. Um, you know, I know for me, when I have to feel, that means I have to be vulnerable and I do not like vulnerability, but I realize now through my program that I'm a human being and I have the right to feel and I want to feel. I don't want to be numb. And in order to feel, I have to be vulnerable with myself first. And when I can become vulnerable with myself first and then know that it's okay, there's no shame attached to vulnerability. Vulnerability to me is a superpower. Um, Then I can give it away and I can be vulnerable with others. And that is where deep connections are formed. And that's what I crave. That's what I haven't had. And that's what I crave. So thank you, Deanna, for just reminding me of that.
0: Oh, Thank you. Cecile, so happy to see you from the other side of the world. How are you?
4: I'm sure it's I... evening time where you are now, right? Yeah. and so happy to see you as well. Um, I'm, I'm in... I'm kind of in in the thick of it so I'm you know I have to I have to and I my my head is full of thoughts uh, from all the beautiful shares so um and I know the reading is long so if you could read the most important you know um, paragraph uh, for me the one you feel is most important I I just need some, some re, uh, re-reading.
0: Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I think that's a lovely idea um, because it's, it's such a beautiful um, read. So, let me see. But our, okay, that does not mean we allow inappropriate behaviors with the excuse that nobody's perfect. That doesn't mean we don't have boundaries and reasonable expectations of people and ourselves, but our expectations need to be reasonable. Expecting perfection is not reasonable. People make mistakes. The less anxious, intimidated, and repressed they are by expectations of being perfect, the better they do. Striving for excellence, purity, and creativity, a harmonious performance, and the best we have to offer does not happen in a Stymied, negative, fear-producing atmosphere of expecting perfection. Have and set boundaries. Have reasonable expectations. Strive to do your best. Encourage others to do the same. But know that we and others will make mistakes. Know that we and others will have learning experiences, things we grow through. Sometimes the flaws and imperfections in ourselves determine our uniqueness the way they do in a piece of art, relish them, laugh at them, embrace them and ourselves, encourage others and ourselves to do the best we can, love and nurture ourselves and other human beings for who we really are. Then we realize we are not merely human, that we were intended and created to be human. So we were made to make
4: mistakes this uh this is truly a very beautiful reading it is just um you know um it is and it's 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 what i need to hear Uh, and and i i have one thing i could contribute with maybe uh on the topic of perfection because i my situation now is is kind of different from from just a couple of weeks ago because i i have been uh putting up boundaries for my my qualifier for 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 you know 10 months i've counted the weeks the days the month and and then i am in contact with my qualifier again um not not any any uh contact you know we're not meeting each other but I, I am in sort of contact with him and and trying to make um, make the, the best of my recovery uh, and and um, in in the day it happened sort of when I had to you know set my my recovery clock on zero again I um, I just thought how am I going to use the the program now? Because now is the time to ho- to to grab it to you know open up the several toolboxes I have. And okay, my expectations for myself was kind of high. You know, um, I've been doing this for one and a half year, um, going to meetings two two times a week in in you know in Zoom and. I, yeah, okay, this is it. I have to just double down. And then I uh, was in a meeting, of course, because the recovery and the program is beautiful in the way that it guides us also in, in terms of how to use it. So in between, in all the texts we read, it is hints and tips on how to use it when we most need it and we you know so I don't remember which text anymore I used to remember that and I will remember it uh, slowly (laughs) but it's it was just okay uh, do the next best thing and I thought okay I'll just I'll just see what comes and I'll just grab whatever I need you know uh, take what you need and leave the rest I was I was the, the, the slogans and you know, what some of these sayings we say all the time just hit me, and I have been doing it ever since. Just whatever comes before me, I grab it and I try to make sense of why it came, you know, this day. And I've also, so, so that's not, it's maybe not, you know, not my, it's not my, my, um. I, I don't view that as you know that's the opposite of perfection to me um, it gave me some space and it gave me I could lower my shoulders and just you know relax and ma- make it make it simple yeah so maybe that was to the topic at least it helped me to just re re rehear myself saying what I am supposed to continue doing to, to be my best self in this situation. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Oh, thank you. Oh, good. Go I'm, ahead, Cecile.
1: I'm, I'm sorry. I got to jump in here. You said something. I don't want to forget. Relax and make it simple. Oh, my goodness. You know, how often I forget to do that. You know, emotions complicate things for me because I'm still figuring out what they all are. And if I can remember to relax and make it simple, all emotions don't have to be complicated. Um, it's, it's how I process them. Um, so that was such a great reminder. Thank you so much, Cecile, for that. Relax and keep it simple. That's going to be my motto for today.
0: I agree, Meredith. I picked that, that same thing and just so much of the in-between, right? we're watching ourselves learn from you know we have theory and then we actually have to go out and do it and and you know that simple statement relax you know and do the next thing um you know for a long time i really struggled with that word relax and i bet i'm not alone Uh, i would even go as far to say that i still struggle with it the relaxing but i'm getting better and when your life depended on you being vigilant and anticipatory to everyone else's needs. We don't know what it feels like to relax. And a lot of times when I work with people, you know, they may have everything in their in their world. They have made it to the place that they needed to do. They're running around with their Enneagram, Enneagram three, being achievers, and yet they're still struggling. And it's because Uh, We aren't told that we have to practice relaxation. We have to practice um, doing just the next step. We have this built-in survival mechanism that tells us to think about everything. And, you know, my codependency uh, really, I mean, I really needed people to play their part because that was, the, those were, that was the script I had memorized. So I needed them to feel the way I needed them to feel so that I could respond in the way I needed to that helped me stay safe. And being able to pull back and just see what happens next, uh, I, I tell you, I think it's one of the most effortful things to do uh, within a relationship to not take action, you know, to actually wait and see what's happening for the next, what is right for me next. It takes, uh, you know, it takes time to, to set up a safe space for me. It takes time and it has taken time for me to set up a practice that allows me to breathe. And I think it's just as important, maybe even more, to be able to, to work on that skill set as we work on our action skill sets. And, um, and I just really, really appreciate uh, you and and I, Cecilia, I've love, I have loved watching you grow in this program for you and what you're doing. And, um, you know, the longer I'm around, the the less I know sometimes. And I think there's something to be said about that. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. the The more time I have, Uh, the more reliant i am on a higher power and knowing and learning about myself and so i hope everybody uh, who is uh, maybe newer to this concept that you'll follow me Uh, you'll join recovered life you'll see there's a link this is a wonderful platform where we take the discussion the conversation off of clubhouse Uh, very very you know no charge it's it's a free community with a lot of content and you get ushered into a volley community and this will allow us to recover together on a daily basis if we need Um, and so i really invite everybody hit the link join the recovered life community uh, hit the green um, monopoly button to join the specific one for clubhouse or you can get to all of it our podcasts and everything through just the link So thank you. I'm going to hand it over to Carrie. Hello. So happy to see you up here.
5: Hi friends. I'm, you know me, I'm spotty. That little brain injury just kicks my butt some days. Talk about being a perfectionist and then becoming disabled. Holy hell. Your world turns upside down. Um, I've never denied being a perfectionist. Um, I've just prayed that I didn't pass it on to other people and made, not made other people feel that they need to perform to the level that I expect of myself. I made conscious efforts to do that with my children. Um, I know that my expectation of myself is not anywhere near what I would hold someone else to. Um, I have this great, amazing group of people that I've been able to walk a journey with I've never done a program. And then bam, some days that damn brain injury takes you out. Um, Today, so far, we're not. Hopefully it's not going to take us out. It's our son's 21st birthday and he wants to do all the fun 21 things. So we'll see if uh, mom makes it. But I did want to, being that I've always known that I was a perfectionist, I mean, I just, I had to be. I had to be to survive. I had to anticipate what other people were going to do to keep me safe to keep my siblings safe to keep my mom safe to keep you know this or that i had to you know get the good grades i was um i didn't have the cool clothes or i didn't have the this or that so i had to be a good student um i mean we could go i could talk on and on and on and on about this um even to be an icu nurse they make fun of us because we're type a perfectionists um you know because That's just kind of the, how we're built for some odd reason. But last night I had a a strange encounter. Um, Of course I was out for the count for most of the day yesterday and you never, you never have your phone on do not disturb when it's one of your kids or your spouse. But I, some of you know, I have a 25 year old son who is one of my qualifiers. Um, I'm sandwiched in between us, um, Two generations of extreme addiction and alcoholism. My son, he's sober right now, he's in another city. But he, we were disagreeing about uh, his the way he handled my husband's mother in law, who has not always been kind to all of us. And um, they had a disagreement, and he wanted to know my opinion. And I said, well, I don't have an opinion. It's not my issue. It's your issue with her. Well, I told you what she did. I said, you didn't, you told me what she did. I said what I needed to say, but you didn't tell me when it happened. So I don't know what more you expect from me. And then he's like, well, can you just think like a criminal for once? And I'm like, Whoa, he has not everybody. It comes from a land of good credit scores and trying to do the, trying to be a good person all the time. And I said, I, I was dumbfounded. I, and I was like, I'm not, I don't, I didn't, wasn't born this way, honey. I've sold food just to eat. I've lived in a car. You don't get to judge me and tell me that, you know, I, and to make me feel bad for doing those things and, and modeling good behavior for you. So I kind of just saw the other side of my, I know, I know 100% I am a perfectionist, but to have, just even good behavior, not necessarily perfectionism, which it probably is perfectionism, I'm just denying it in the semantics. But to have that attacked, I really just kind of felt I needed to get it off my chest and share. So thank you, friends, for carrying that for me. And um, as you can tell, I'm still a little emotional about it. But you know, this too shall pass. And we lean on the people that we have created as our tribe and the tools that those people have taught us. So thanks.
1: Thank you, Carrie, so much for coming up and sharing that. Um, I can, you know, I just, I respect the fact that you know exactly who you are. Um, you know who, you, you know, you, you know that you're a perfectionist. Um, you're aware. Um, and none of us work this program perfectly. I know I don't. We're not intended to. You know, we are human and we are made to make mistakes. Um, you know, the thing you said, you um, you know i really envy is that you said that you've always known that you're a perfectionist and the level of which you have expectations for yourself you don't project that you know onto others you don't expect others to be like that gosh i i, I really i don't i don't know that just resonated with me because my experience has been i do perf- i project that perf- my perfectionism onto other people especially in my relationships like what Christina said, you know, everyone, you know, especially in my intimate relationships, they have to play their role. They have to play the part that I want them to play so I can have the the good emotions that I want to have so I can feel safe and be okay. Um, And that is such an unrealistic expectation. It's so unfair um, because not everyone lives their life from a, from an area of perfectionism. I was taught how to be perfectionistic. Uh, and Carrie, like you said, you know, I had to be, it was a survival skill. It was a trauma response. I had to be, I had to play all different kind of roles within my family so I could be safe, so I could be okay. Um, and had I not learned how to do that, there's a good possibility I may not be here. Um, you know, a lot of us that grew up in adult um, or in uh, alcoholic and dysfunctional homes, you know, that alone, um, we survived that. Um, but not every person in the world had the, you know, or that we even come into contact with had that same experience. And you know, that perfectionism, I think it will, it's something that I work on all the time and it's so hard for me. It is so difficult for me that people don't think like I do, that people won't do what I want them to do or they won't respond the way I want them to, or they won't feel the way I want them to. Um, and that's my work. Um, But that's why I'm here. You know, again, you know, I'm going to go back to what Cecile said, you know, and it's like relax and keep it simple. And I so need to remember that, especially when perfectionism shows up, because for me, it shows up daily it shows up in my career. It shows up in my intimate relationships. Um, it shows up just within myself. I mean, even cleaning my house or taking a picture, you know, everything has to be just absolutely perfect. I think Deanna was talking about a song, you know, you know, everything just has to be just perfect. So it shows up. It's a default almost for me and it shows up so often and so much, um, And that is where my work lies. So thank you, Carrie. I'm so happy to see your bubble today. So Christina, I'll pass the mic to you.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you both Meredith and Carrie for sharing. It's, it is really, uh, this is how we recover. People come up and they share their stories and they get held and seen and witnessed and allows all of us to start figuring out who we are. you know, in, in, not so much that we're comparing about who has more recovery, In comparing understanding, oh yeah, I do that too, oh yeah, I feel that way too, um, and recognizing that it's a, a survival skill that kept us alive for a long time. You know, we don't live in a world uh, that even if you're not in recovery, where perfectionism isn't still the standard, the gold standard. So. I hope everybody has a beautiful day. I want to remind everybody that uh, my partner Damon Frank will be back tomorrow. Uh, Damon just celebrated 29 years of recovery and I cannot wait to hear. Uh, It is uh, the name of the room is unstuck and they will be having a powerful discussion. If you're feeling stuck at all in any, in your recovery, or you're just not sure how to move forward. He always brings the a game to the discussion and I hope you'll join us. And also uh, remember to look for the podcasts. Uh, go on the link or DM me. I'll get you set up. It's completely free and see that there are there's just so many. Really, really good episodes, um, and you can pick and choose, or you know, subscribe and continue to be part of the community. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Meredith, for jumping up last minute and just being, uh, being you.
3: Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at RecoveredLife.us.